When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going into the book of Judges, which is a wild and woolly place. Enjoy. The book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua. Joshua, who has succeeded Moses as the ruler of the people, the leader of the people, now has died. He's 110 when he dies. 110 is not bad. Not quite as long as Moses lived, but decent. Um, And the book starts with these very elderly people who are going into the land. Caleb, Joshua's companion from his youth, um, goes up and is also in that age range. Um, and takes certain territories, and that's sort of how the book starts, with these independent contractors, if you will, like Caleb and others, who go out and do what they feel is right and what God has called them to do. Sometimes it results in some really big victories for the people that results in more safety and security. Other times it results in destruction and judgment and failure. Um, Judges is this transitional book that chronicles the transition from a priestly leadership of the nation um, under Moses to the um, monarchical or kingly uh, rule of Saul, David, and all of David's descendants all the way down to Jesus, who is also a descendant of David and that kingly line. And so this period of transition, like all periods of transition in our lives, is messy and chaotic and tumultuous and doesn't always uh, make a lot of sense to outsiders. It is a time of uh, just these people who have just started to live in this land trying to figure things out as they go. And if you've ever tried to do that for yourself or seen anybody else that you know do that, a lot of stuff happens. And they wrote it down, and we're thankful for that. Not everybody chronicles these times in their lives. Um, And yet they are times of great insight into who God is in our lives and in the people of God's life as well. Notice that um, they have this moment of transition marked by Joshua's warnings to them, and then this statement that, um, that they have not kept the covenant. The statement is made by the angel of the Lord. Not sure who that is. The same person that Joshua meets before the battle of Jericho. Hard to know. But the warning and judgment that's given them is that they did not drive out the people that were supposed to be driven out. They um, are going to stay close by, and they were constantly going to harass and trick and bother and even kill and annihilate the people of God who live next to them. And so there was great weeping, and they named the place Bochim, to weep, or weeping, the one who weeps, the weepers. It's a plural word in Hebrew. 
to the weepers, marking this moment of weeping. I do think that when we experience the consequences of our actions, um, it's okay to just weep. We don't always have to solve everything or fix it, because that's usually impossible when we've gotten ourselves into things that we can't easily get out of. But weeping is always a good thing to do. Um, Weeping acknowledges the reality of our situation. It acknowledges the, the, um, the pain that we are experiencing and the pain that we've caused. And in this particular case, um, it is the most vulnerable in the land who are going to experience the consequences of their uh, foreparents' inaction and timidity. We, uh, we, if you've never wept, I encourage you to try it. One of the ways to do that um, is to go to where you're completely alone. Maybe it's in your car, but you got to be away from other cars. Maybe it's in a field behind your house or where you live or in a park. Um, park benches are good for these things. Somewhere where you feel, can feel safe. Nobody's around. Um, and that is rare in this world, honestly, to find a place where you can weep. And, and then to really feel what you're feeling, to really experience that again with all the emotions that come with that, the anger, feelings of betrayal, feelings of failure, feelings of shame, um, not to judge those feelings at all, but to just experience them, to feel them, um, and then to, then to pray out loud in your real voice, like the voice you use or you used when you were a child to call out to your parents for more food or whatever it was. Um, use that voice to talk to God. And I think you'll find that there are no words sometimes to say after a while. And that's when you can really weep. And those are words that only God understands, ultimately. Those are words that only um, that God does understand. Paul writes that it is in these groanings of the Spirit, groanings, weepings, t- words and sounds of anguish that we really speak to God. And God knows what we're saying when we say those things. Ultimately, the, the real language of humanity is one big cry, one big groan, one big chorus of weeping to God. There is a, um, an old story from the Irish Republican Army days, and I only share this because it could be kind of insensitive in many ways, but I heard it from a um, person who is well acquainted with these events and they shared this, Peter Rollins. Um, he said there used to be a practice in the bombings in the 70s um, where they would call ahead to the, um, to the place they were bombing and tell everybody to get out. Like if they were bombing a pub in London or something like that, they would call ahead and say, you've got five minutes to get out of the building. The bomb's going to go off, um, which is pretty awful and scary. Anyway, one of these guys who was um, 
involved in this activity, short fused himself and uh, was standing before heaven, before St. Peter's gate in heaven. And he's up there in heaven at the gate. And Peter says, um, I'm sorry, I don't seem to have you on the list um, to let you in. And, um, and the guy says, I'm messing up the joke. He says, I'm not here to get in. I'm here to tell you, you've got five minutes to get out. Um, kind of a dark humor, if you will. But um, ultimately, the cry of humanity is not that we will all go to heaven. It's that we'll give God five minutes to come down here. Um, that is the ultimate trajectory of our faith. Is not that we will escape this world ultimately, even though we long for that, and we sing about that in many of our hymns and our groanings and longings, but ultimately it'll be that God will come here, that God will leave heaven and come and be one of us. And that is the cry of all humanity down through time and space. And that is the cry that is answered in the person of Jesus Christ, who comes as the righteous judge, the righteous king, who comes as the king of righteousness to establish justice, And the kingdom that he establishes is the direct opposite of the kingdom that you see established in the book of Judges, in that it is not one where might always makes right, where the strongest are the ones who get to call the shots. You have a story in the book of Judges of a guy named Samson. You may have heard of him, the strong man. And he's literally the strongest guy alive. So they put him in, sort of put him in charge of things. Um, He's never quite like the ruler of the whole group of people or anything. But you can see how just in that era, the strongest guy gets to be in charge. And ultimately in the kingdom of God that Jesus establishes, it is not the strongest who become the rulers, not the strongest. It is the lowliest of servants who become the greatest, Jesus taught. It is not the ones who mint coins and put their faces on the coins and say, look how great I am that are are first in the kingdom of God. It is the one who takes off their robe and puts on a towel and goes around and washes the dirty feet of their followers and disciples and students. That is who is greatest in the kingdom of God. In fact, a little child is brought in the middle of the group of disciples and Jesus looks at the child and says, unless you become like this child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The powerlessness, the person who doesn't even have a bank account or any power or any titles or degrees or positions or anything like that is ultimately who is first in the kingdom of God. It is a riches to rags story. It is a, is a downward mobility story in Christianity, a reversal of the power plays that we see in the book of Judges. So there is great weeping. And yet they begin to follow these judges. And the cycle of history that is described in the judges in verse 16, the Lord raises up the judges who delivers them and uh, from those who are oppressing them. But then the people stop listening to the judges. They lust after other gods and they bow down before them. And they turn aside from what they've walked in and the patterns of worship and behavior that God has set out in the Ten Commandments. So then there's more judges that are sent to deliver them. And the cycle of history that 
sort of keeps going on. And this isn't because they're, those people are any worse than us or any are not as smart as us or, or something like that. It is simply the pattern of all human life that we learn stuff and then we stop learning stuff and then we learn it again. And I don't know about you, but I seem to keep coming back to the same major challenges and struggles of my little life. Um, the things that challenged me when I was a teenager haven't really gone away. They've sort of changed forms in some ways, but the essential core of my questions and struggles and difficulties with life are pretty much the same. They just have a different way of, of surprising me throughout my life. And so it is with all humans. We sort of come back to the same cycles again and again. It was really hard not to follow Baal and Asherah, the god and goddesses of the people that surrounded the people of God. Um, Baal means master or lord. It is used of humans in the Bible a few times um, as sort of chieftain or lord or powerful person. Um, And Baal, you know, is associated sometimes with thunder and lightning and storms. And um, you can imagine all the things that come with that military power of the god, something you would really want in a time of great vulnerability and peril. You'd want somebody who could fight for you. Um, And Asherah is the goddess of fertility and other um, more feminine, archetypically feminine characteristics of deities from the ancient world, maybe even deities from our modern world as well. Um, And you see this, this dual couple, this power couple, Baal and Asherah, um, enacting their divine drama in the world. It makes a lot more sense. We want our families to be good and normal and powerful and good at what we do. And we want to be admired for our success in this very narrow definition of what is successful in the world. And so we look to deities that will give us that empowering secret And Baal and Asherah did that for people. They offered them power and success and plenty um, if you worship them. Most of the, you know, fertility rites of the ancient world and even the modern world involve sexual reproduction. So Baal and Asherah are symbols of that. And so much of the worship would have involved um, reenacting what happens with between earth and sky in the uh, sky god Baal and the earth god, goddess Asherah. Um, So you can see this um, insistence that sexual gratification being much more important than than the stability that is offered in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments point to loving God and loving your neighbor as the first requirement of life and the first challenge of life and the first directive of life. Baal and Asherah are saying you should get as much out of life as you can possibly get. You should get as much, uh, have as much children as you can possibly have. Um, You should be as reproductively uh, uh, proficient as possible. You should have all the stuff you need and want and desire. Um, And ultimately, if you worship us, we will give you all that stuff. It is what the devil offers Jesus when he takes him up to a high mountain You can have all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me. And that is the exchange that 
all the false gods of the world offer us all the time. And they are still offering this to us. Um, in talking with a young person um, this, this uh, weekend, I talked to somebody who was very young. He's half my age. And um, what he's thinking about is, um, is stuff that, you know, I don't really think about much, but at his age, he's thinking about this. How do I find a, how do I find someone to love that makes me look good, that offers me success? How can I be successful enough and powerful enough and rich enough and, um, you know, be the kind of person that a, a really, 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 um, and this is the language of him and the language he used, high value person. How can I get a high value person to like me? How do I become a high value person, high value male, a high value female? This is the language that is being used in pop culture and um, in, in many places on the internet, on Instagram influencers and others who are selling this version of success that if you're rich enough and you're strong enough, you go to the gym enough as a man, that somehow you will be worthy of a high-value woman in your life. And this sort of um, exchange that we are tempted with all the time to say the only thing that matters is power. The only thing that matters is, is um, this attraction model that Baal and Asherah set up for us. And this is what we worship. When Jesus... Um, last time I checked, did not have a lot of romantic success as we might determine it in this world. Um, in fact, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and we hid ourselves from looking at him because he was hard to look at. Um, he, is, um, he is someone who put the kingdom of God first. Um, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So seeking first the kingdom of God is not what the Baals and Asherahs of this world offer us or ask us to do. They ask us to seek first our kingdom and our power. And so this is the same temptation that the ancient people of God were tempted with, and it's the same one we are tempted with. So walk in the way of the Lord is the answer, to walk, um, not to run, not to sit still, but to walk in the way of the Lord. So if you find yourself walking today, I hope you can find yourself walking in the way of the Lord. Amen. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. she had parents um, and we are thankful for her parents that are not named in the Bible I think being a parent is ultimately not to be named um, the, the success of being a parent is that your kids um, aren't always thinking about you um, that they are living their lives and um, 
blessing the world as best they can and uh, not, not always um, remembering your name as well. That's the, the joy of being a parent is to be forgotten, um, to have loved at the right time and to um, let the birdies fly from the nest. So we thank God for um, these two parents who bless the world by bringing and raising the Blessed Virgin Mary. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we remember in Thanksgiving this day the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we pray that we all may be made one in the heavenly family of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We remember that the Holy Family of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and including their other family members as well, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Um, Holy families are not perfect, and they certainly don't look like um, our idealization of families as we often have them in our minds of what the perfect family is. The holy family, including Mary's parents, um, are people, and their lives, if you read the story of Mary's family um, and all that goes on in the story of the birth of Jesus and subsequent young years and being raised, it is not a perfect family um, as we would maybe think about it, but it is a holy family because that ultimately is our goal, is to be a holy family in all the ways that we love God and love each other through that time.